0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of AMA. I'm your host, Tom Bilyeu, and we're going to be taking your questions, so be sure to drop those bad boys in. And by the way, forgive us if um, Wookiee goes bonkers because we've got a bunch of family in the house today, so she is not locked up per usual, Uh, so madness may ensue. All right, first question. Let's dive right into this bad boy. This is from Ashraf Mohammed, who definitely is in contention for coolest name in a very long time. Hi Tom, you mentioned in your episode with Crystal Dilworth that you used to have you used to have a bad case of anxiety. I'm someone who suffers from generalized anxiety and social anxiety. It's something that's stopping me from making the life-changing transition into fulfillment. What was what was it that you personally had to do to rid yourself of of it and become the person that you are? Um so First, I will say that I I haven't rid myself of anxiety. That is something that I still struggle with on a pretty much daily basis. Uh, but there are things that you can do to keep it in check. So I'm going to give you my four-step magic process to curing your anxiety. I can smell the title of this episode coming. All right. Number one for me, and this was a huge breakthrough, is to understand the biology of what's happening. Once I really began to understand the difference between the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system, that was huge for me. So the sympathetic nervous system is the fight, flight, or freeze response and this is what you're clicking over into when your anxiety begins to build. And the problem that I have with anxiety is the physiological side of it. So um, anxiety when it's like nervousness, I actually don't mind that much. Um, if it's not affecting me, like a shortness of breath, really rapid heart rate. If it's just the butterflies in my stomach, that's not a big deal. But I found that it was escalating beyond that and that it was uh, – I got shallow breathing, rapid heart rate. And most terrifyingly, the blood is actually leaving um, – the prefrontal cortex. And so you're getting into a position where your higher level cognition is actually being shut down because it doesn't have blood flow. And it's going to the more primitive parts of your brain, which are in in charge of the fight, flight, or freeze response. So Understanding that and understanding that the blood was actually leaving the parts of my brain that were responsible for the higher level cognition made me begin to understand why in those moments I was performing so poorly. And then I began to visualize that what I was trying to do was get myself into a calm state where the blood could actually go back to the places that I needed it so that my higher level um, ability to reason would kick back in. So. There was something about that that was really, really meaningful to me. So that brings us to step two, which is the first thing that I started to do to be able to consciously control that was meditate. So in meditating, what you're learning to do, at least for me, and I don't consider myself a meditation expert by any means, but this was one of the huge wins for me in meditating was learning to breathe from my diaphragm. Now, breathing from your, I literally just did it, Uh, breathing from your diaphragm, Instead of from your chest, right? So most people breathe like this, and it's all in your upper chest. You're not getting a very deep breath. A and B, there's something um, in breathing from your diaphragm that triggers your parasympathetic nervous system. The parasympathetic nervous system is the opposite to the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight, flight, or freeze. Parasympathetic is rest and digest. So in meditating and learning to breathe from your diaphragm, in learning to consciously calm yourself down, meaning you're lowering your heart rate, you're breathing, much more deeply from the diaphragm getting the blood reallocated to the parts of the brain that are actually useful um that meditating was my first step into that where i realized whoa even even one breath from my diaphragm had a really big impact and so i realized no matter how stressed out i am no matter how much i'm freaking out about something it becomes merely a question of duration of diaphragm breathing or meditative breathing for me to get calm again. And so the hard part for me was psychologically being willing to do that when I was in like a business meeting or something, because people want to know what the hell you're doing, why you're breathing so strangely. Uh, But nonetheless, it really helped calm me down. And if you see me before I walk on stage always and forever, every single time I've ever done it, uh, you can see me doing meditative breathing as they're doing the intros for me. Um, So, Learning how to do that is really, really critical. And that brings me to the third thing, which is to practice under pressure going from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. So once I could visualize it, and then I learned to meditate so that I could consciously slow myself down, I needed to be able to do that in high-pressure situations. Um, one of the things was in business, that was often where I found that my anxiety was kicking up. There were high stakes. You know, you're know, you in a meeting where if you're able to convince people to do something, it has a significant impact on the company. And if you're not, then it has a negative impact on the company. So um, using those times in business to practice that became very, very useful for me. And that's where I began to develop this notion that all of life is but practice, there is no performance. And that was just a mental decision that I made. No one thing, I wasn't gonna allow it to be performance. I was going to always ensure that I viewed it as practice. And then the other thing that I've used is video games. So first-person shooters tend to put you in very stressful situations where it feels like there's stakes, but there's really no stakes, and it doesn't matter if you're breathing funny uh, to calm yourself down, And also in that, I realized that there's another part of calming yourself down, which is to be aware that everything is escalating and that it's spiking really fast, which is one of the ways that anxiety bites you in the ass, is it spikes really quickly and you don't have a chance to like... Use your meditative practices and everything to calm yourself down. So I found that same thing was happening to me in first-person shooters. So it gave me a chance to practice over and over and over that as I felt that initial spike that I would even mentally, so not just physiologically with the diaphragm breathing, that even mentally I would say slow down, which was a big part of it. It's it's the notion of slowing down, not letting my brain ramp up, not letting my heart rate ramp up, not letting my breathing get faster, like to literally just – in that moment, everything from my posture, relaxing my posture, um, y- you know, you're making these crazy facial expressions and all this stuff feeds into this loop. So relaxing my face, relaxing my posture and understanding that I will actually play better if I stay calm. I don't focus on like speed of movement that I just relax into it. And that keeps you from slipping into the sympathetic nervous system. And then the fourth thing is get really good at the thing that you care about that's causing your anxiety. And a lot of anxiety is that fear. It's you're rehearsing a future um, that hasn't happened, right? So you're panicking that something bad is going to happen, that you're going to underperform, whatever. And so that begins this um, suicidal anxiety loop. And some of that, not all of that, but some of that is born of the fact that you're not confident in your skill set yet. So to give you an idea, when I used to do lives, and this was back in the Periscope days, I would have, I'm not joking, like seven to 15 people show up to a live and I was in an out and out panic. And because I wasn't confident in my ability to do this, and so doing it over and over and over and over, you just start getting confident. And that confidence and that exposure to it, uh, immersion therapy, if you will, doing it over and over with the mentality of practicing, knowing how to diaphragm, breathe, all of that, you just literally practice um, going through that and getting good at it. And that feeds into your confidence, your confidence and feeds back into the loop that cancels out the anxiety. So there it is. Those are my four steps to curing your anxiety. Curing is a bit of a cheek because honestly, I still deal with it, but I feel like I deal with it way more effectively than I used to. So hopefully that benefits you guys as much as it's been amazing and utterly transformative for me. All right. Next question is from Charlie Mason. What book site or person will help me learn about the microbiome? That is a gigantic question. Uh, so the microbiome is absurdly complicated, but uh, an amazing follow-up question to the first question about anxiety, because I believe that the microbiome uh, plays a massive role in anxiety and depression. I think that's gonna come out more and more and more, uh, but you'll be able to see people talking about that, even if you read the books that are already out now. Um, I would start with the human superorganism, um, and I would also start with the Gut-Mind Connection. That's by Dr. Emron Meyer, And we just had him on a new show that we're doing called Health Theory, which, by the way, check that out. I'm super curious to see how this audience responds to that. I have a big fear, maybe not quite the right word, but I have reason to believe that we're actually going to have to separate it and put it on its own channel. Um, So I'll be announcing exactly where we put that show in the future. Uh, But we started shooting a show called Health Theory and uh, Dr. Emmerin Meyer, Meyer, Meyer. Ah, interesting. So this is Lisa's obsession. Uh, So yeah, hit a thumbs up if you guys want to see Health Theory. Drop into the comments. I'm super curious. Uh, I'd really like to know how many people would like to see it on this channel because there's a saying called view velocity that YouTube cares a lot about. And if we don't have view velocity, then it actually damages the channel, which is why we think we have to move it to a separate channel. So anyway, uh, but let us know if you'd like to see it. That would be my fantasy since I really believe to pull people out of the matrix, then we have to address the microbiome. What's that? Yeah, 2018. Cool. All right. So, um, those are the, those are the two books I would start with. Check out Rob Wolf, uh, his podcast. It comes up a lot. It's not the primary focus of the show. Um, but they talk about it a lot. His book, Wired to Eat is also great. Again, it's not entirely focused on that, but it comes up a lot. Um, so those three will get you started. Be a nice primer. You'd have a pretty good idea of where to go from there. So, all right. Next question is from Katie TK from Facebook. Hi, Tom. How do I stop planning my entire life? Why would you want to? Um, I'm constantly thinking about the future and setting alarms to remind me of things. How can I start living in the now and not stressing about my future? Ooh, God. Um, you and I have a conflict of values. So I actually believe that that obsessive planning isn't the problem. There's something else in your system that is creating an issue out of that. So um, if you're getting into an anxiety loop where the planning becomes fretting and worrying and not planning, but you used a very specific word, planning for the future I think is amazing. And if you're mapping out the steps that you need to take in order to achieve your goals. I think that's what everyone should do. And I highly encourage more people to start because people don't do that. They don't have a specific goal. They don't put a specific plan in order to achieve it. Now, if planning is you cheating and it's really just you worrying about the future and obsessively looping over how things could go wrong, then I get that that's not going to be very useful. Um, but the notion of the eternal now, at least as Eckhart Tolle talks about it, is all right, this is the only moment that you have. So learning to enjoy this moment is utterly critical. But I will tell you a key component for me to enjoying this moment is knowing that I'm working towards something very specific. So I'm a huge believer that you need to enjoy the struggle because the struggle is the only thing that's guaranteed. So whatever it is that you're fighting for, you need to really believe in that. It needs to be very important to you. It needs to matter. It needs to give you a sense of purpose and significance. And in fighting for it and doing it and practicing it and getting better in this moment, that needs to be something that you love and is exciting for you. But if you have all of that, then constantly planning for the future I think is a great thing if you don't have all of that and again it's just worrying or you're fighting for something that you don't really care about and it doesn't light you on fire and it's not exciting then that's the problem you don't have a compelling future that you're planning towards and I would say get that compelling future rather than stop planning okay next question is from Josh Parker this is from Facebook what are your 2018 goals for managing time any new or different from 2017 um Well, now I'll just invite you into my thought process. I don't have the solution to this problem yet, but I am very distressed by how much of my time is pre-accounted for. So, and it's not, that this is what really freaks me out. When I analyze each individual thing, they're all strong magic. It's stuff that I want to be doing that I think really feeds into the mission. But there's something about having the time to think That's really, really important. Now, the reason that this has really been on my mind recently and it's really bothering me, I've been in a super weird sleep cycle where uh, I've been waking up in the middle of the night with less than four hours sleep, which for me, if I get less than five hours sleep, then um, I go back to sleep because I will be a cognitive mess and the day feels like a lost day. So, I would rather lose my early morning time, which is like my precious, precious time than lose the entire day. Um, but yeah, it's thrown me into this super weird cycle. So I don't have what I normally have is like four to seven hours of just like alone time where I can think it's nothing scheduled and I can meditate, think, read important things like all of that. And it gives me a deep sense of calm and peace. And I know that I'm doing the things that I need to do. because I've had so much time to really just, um, free think about it. And recently, for a couple of weeks now, it's been driving me nuts. Uh, I don't have that time. And so my day gets away from me and then it's just all pre-planned out. So um, Warren Buffett talks about this, that you need to have, he says, and I I won't give him this much, but he said that you need to have more unscheduled time than you have scheduled time. So uh, just that hasn't worked for me, but I like to have close to 50 50 and if i can have more that would be amazing um so that's that's what i'm thinking about otherwise my time management is so like i'm so ruthless about it that i don't necessarily have a new system that i'm trying to bring into place and for anybody that doesn't already know my system um the key is just to keep it short because i've talked a lot about this the key is the important things list that you have a list of the important things you should be doing i don't check email those two things Important things list, which I obsessively go through. It's not about thinking. It's about action and then not checking email. So other people aren't dictating my schedule. And I'm not in sort of a social media esque, um, feedback loop of like just onto the next one, onto the next one, onto the next one. Right. So, um, you want to make sure that you're doing the most important things you need to be doing to make your goals come true. And the likelihood that someone has emailed you those in the exact order that you need to address them is exactly zero. So I tell people to feel a deep, deep, sense of shame every time you're checking your email because it means that you believe that someone on the outside knows better what you should be doing for your business than you. Now I get it. There's certain things that are going to come into your email that are important and are a key part of what you're trying to move forward. I understand that. Uh, But to give you an idea, that's true for me as well, right? As much as for the next person. And I even with my assistant going through my email, I respond to less than it's less than three emails a day. That is for sure. Sometimes it's less than three emails a week. So I'm telling you it can be done. Uh, that was true for me even when I was at quest. So, and yeah, I mean that was a billion dollar business. I mean, it's just like, you can do it. It is a discipline. It is something you either value in your life or you don't. So train yourself to not do that. All right. Next. Oh, that's so not what I hoped would happen. <laughs> This I never leave the lid off, dude. I never leave the lid off. And the irony is today, because um, Brady is sick. I didn't, and I knew that I'm touching all these things that Brady's touched. I was like, I'll just leave the lid off. And of course, the one time I knock it over. So, there we have it, boys and girls. All right, the next question is from Kiechi Morisato. This is from YouTube. Uh, can you please tell us how to cope with depression if we have it? Can we ever truly be successful? Anxiety is debilitating, yes, but how does one successfully conquer depression? All right, so this is a huge question. First of all, I've never been clinically depressed, so I'll say that I'm probably not the ideal person to answer this question, but in a Ray Dalio principles kind of way, let me walk you through my thinking, and if you think my rationale is strong, then go on it. Um, so here's how I think about depression. It is a neurochemical wiring problem. So you have a real issue that you have to address that's either a chemical imbalance or you've just over time wired something in your mind that you're going to have to build something new to allow that to then break down. So the way that that works is a process in your brain called myelination. So uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. Now, I think of them as networks. So you've got these networks. And let's say one of these networks is anxiety, or one of these networks is depression, or one is joy, one is happiness, one is gratitude. Whatever you spend your time really focusing on, that network is going to get wired. And you're going to very easily slip into that. Now, that is not discounting just like, natural brain abnormalities that may lead to somebody having a, a hereditary, um, like, setting for depression right from the jump. But I think that even if you have that, what you'll find is as you go through the treatment process, one of the things that they're going to do is teach you to leverage those other networks. And I've heard this said by people that have struggled with clinical depression. So one, if you're clinically depressed, work with a professional. Two, don't be afraid to medicate. That may be exactly what you need to balance out the neurochemistry. And then three, focus on those networks and strengthening them. So if you know that you spend a lot of time with depressive thoughts, you need to immediately stop doing that. You need to put as much time attention as humanly possible on the things you're grateful for. Literally just force yourself to sit down and think of things that you're grateful for. And even in a depressive state, like it can be the smallest, simplest things. Let me give you one. Running water in your house is fucking amazing. Warm water is in and of itself a miracle. Um, sanitation, like they're just really simple things that you could be over the moon about the smile of a stranger, Wind, right? Like There are so many little things. If you allow yourself to focus on them and realize they're incredible, as Einstein said, you can live as if nothing is a miracle or if everything is a miracle and the choice is yours. So looking at the things around you and deciding that you're going to focus on those things and think of them as miracles. You're going to think of them as these incredible things that you're just grateful to be experiencing. Now, it's going to feel totally fake in the beginning. I understand that, but you're going to force yourself to keep focusing on that, focusing on it, focusing on it, and focusing on it in the frame of this is amazing. Now, if you do that, you're going to begin strengthening the gratitude network. And I know you guys have heard people talk about gratitude before, and this is why, because as you force yourself through a decision that yes, feels artificial in the beginning, you begin to steep yourself in these positive emotions, a positive frame of reference. And then that frame of reference over time becomes real. Now, as a part of a grand strategy that probably involves working with a professional, when you have depression, this begins to alleviate some of that Also, I believe that a deep sense of fulfillment, which will also combat a depressive state, has to do with gaining. It's what the ancient Greeks called techni. It's about having a core set of skills you've worked very hard to develop that live in service of other people. Helping other people makes people feel rad. So, man, go do something, especially if it's a skill set that you've worked hard to acquire. It will make you feel very, very good about that. So, giving back to other people is a huge way. Um, And then there's physical ways to enter into a much more positive loop. So for instance, your posture, I know this sounds stupid, but your posture plays into it. Um smiling plays into it. Forcing yourself to laugh out loud, watch comedies, watch stand-up comedy. Like get yourself in a position where you're laughing, where you're holding your face in that way, where you're holding your body in an expansive what they call power posing. Like all of this stuff, I know it sounds stupid, but it actually works. There are biomechanical feedback loops that you need to get into. So when I'm feeling down, I force myself to laugh. I put on music that puts me in a great place. I hug my wife. Look, I fully get it. Not everybody has the luxury of having a significant other that makes them feel that way. So there's a thousand other things you could do. If you can get a dog like there's there's a lot of little things bonsai when we shave his fur it feels like velvet and I'm telling you I could sit there and pet that dog for hours on end like there are just all these things that you can do that are pushing you in a positive direction and they are choices man they are choices. All right again I'm not an expert on depression hopefully that logic though sounds very sound to you. And thusly, you will give it a shot because I really do believe it, even though I know I'm not the expert in the field. All right. Next question is from Ed Romero. This is from YouTube. Tom, I'm in a job that I hate. B-Raw, I feel for you. And there's nothing that zaps happiness faster. And the only way for me to afford getting out of this job is to do extremely well at it. So the question is, how do I generate the psychic energy necessary to be extremely successful in something that I have no passion for? This is really fascinating. But... So I'm going to answer your question exactly as asked, but first I'm going to call bullshit. So it actually isn't true that the only way for you to afford getting out of that job is to do extremely well at it. Uh, so first of all, you could cut your expenses to the absolute quick. You could renegotiate your student loans. If you have like looming student loans, you can even, um, usually student loans will let you get a deferral for a few months or whatever. So there are things that you can do. Like if this is a really toxic environment, I just want you to know that there are a lot of solutions that may not seem immediately evident. But let's set that aside and let's say that you live in some magic land where it really is the only way for you to get out of this job is to first do extremely well at it. It's like the most dangerous game. We're trapped on an island with a crazy millionaire who's hunting you. And the only way he's going to let you off the island is if you get really good at whatever your job is. So if that were the case... The psychic energy is all about having a compelling future. Like what is the thing that you want to do? So once you extract yourself from this job, then what do you go on to do? So if that thing that you go on to do really amps you up and you are super excited about that thing, then that's where this is going to give you the energy that you want. You're going to focus on that thing that you're super amped up about doing. And you're going to recognize that the skill set that you need to get good at the job that you're currently in is part of that larger goal that you have that really excites you. And then you're going to have to be deadly efficient with your time to make sure that you're doing the things you need to do to learn and grow and get out of there as fast as possible. Because knowing that it's a short time frame is going to be one of the things that keeps you motivated. I think people can push really hard for acute periods of time. It gets very, very difficult without that love, that passion, that huge why, that just burning, crushing need, that thing that you love that you're so excited about. If you don't have that, I think you've really got to make the time period short. All right. So, That's my advice. Get after it. Next question is from Blaine Goodwin. This is Facebook. Hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I also have bipolar disorder. In the last few months, I started a clothing brand. Awesome. I really think that I'm on the right track and I'm seeing good results overall. What encouragement might you have for entrepreneurs turning obstacles into platforms for growth? So literally based on the way you asked the question, read the book, The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday an amazing, amazingly powerful book. It's in my top 10, I think, I think it's number six, of the most important books people should read in order if you wanna be successful. So that really talks about what you can do to um, turn any obstacle into an opportunity to figure out what is it about this thing that I think is holding me back that's actually going to set me free to do the things that I need to do. So um, that, that book does an awesome job of encapsulating it. But the idea is that depending on what you're looking for, you're either going to see the thing that's stopping you or you're going to see an opportunity to do something amazing. Um so I'll give you an example. So Elon Musk, right, looks at what's happening with um he thought that electric cars were going to happen on their own. There was interesting government regulations that were happening and he just thought, "Yep, this is all going to take off and so I don't have to worry about that." And then he realized that the legislation was getting pushed back and nobody seemed incentivized to do it, so he said, "Oh, I'm going to do it myself." And so in building Tesla, obviously he's now built a multi-billion dollar company. So he's looking at a problem and realizes that if he can solve that problem, he can also build a huge business. And, um, this is one of those things that I keep telling myself, I'm going to write down like a whole bunch of really amazing examples of where the obstacle in my own life actually became the way. Um, I haven't done that yet. Shame on me, deep and abiding shame. Um, and so, yeah, but that read the book obstacles away, it elucidates all this. It's incredibly, incredibly powerful. In fact, here here's a great one for my life. So my anxiety taught me how to meditate and meditation has helped me be way better at business. So in simply trying to not be in a constant state of panic, I had to learn how to uh, meditate Meditation led me to thinkitation and thinkitation has been one of the most incredibly potent weapons that I have as an entrepreneur. So there's a perfect example, the obstacle, the anxiety that I felt was holding me back because I literally felt like when I don't have anxiety, I feel like a superhero. And when I have it, I feel like literally incapable of anything. So in learning to address that, I realized, whoa, I overshot normal and I got this tool that ended up being incredibly, incredibly valuable. So there you have it. All right, next question is from The Nameless on YouTube. That's literally their name. How does one become a better practitioner of being the observer of their self, as in with the thoughts and emotions that arise in certain situations, in this case, the ones that cause much angst? So this is what I call the Overwatch mechanism, and I've never had to... It's not true. I've detailed this before. So um, here's how it goes. If you want to improve your overwatch mechanism, it comes down to self-awareness and the self-awareness of the the emotions that are causing you angst. The way that you're going to do that is first, you're going to be really bad at it. So um, you're going to catch yourself like midstream, maybe five or ten minutes into having an emotion that may even be causing you to react um, very uh, exaggeratedly. You're going to recognize, oh shit, like I'm doing this thing and it's way overwrought. So, but now I've caught it. And so what you want to do is back into it. So first of all, it's I'm having an emotion and it's causing this reaction. The next step is you want to get good at identifying what is this emotion? Oh, this is anger. This is frustration. This is jealousy, whatever. Then you want to figure out what's causing this. So that's the thing that you need to go through. So I am having an emotion, what the emotion is, and then what's causing the emotion. And then once you get good at that cycle, which will take time, but once you get good at that cycle, then you want to get on the cycle of doing all of it more rapidly. So recognizing that you're having an emotional reaction in the first 10 or 15 seconds, then identifying what that emotion is really rapidly because you've had it so many times. Ah, yes, this is one of those, right? This is insecurity. This is um, anger or whatever. And then, ah, yes, here are the things that really set me off. These are my triggers. I know them. So that cycle happens very, very rapidly. And once you're at the root cause, then you can do something about it. Once you know why you're having an emotion and you're able to identify it very quickly, then you're going to be able to um, get in a positive loop of being able to catch it very rapidly and stop it, hopefully, before or combat it may be a better way to think of it than just stopping it because you're going to go through a process of doing things to stop you from having that reaction. So what are those things, right? So if it's diaphragm breathing, if it's anxiety or something like that, um, if it's laughing out loud, if it's you know, sadness, what literally whatever you need to do um, to disrupt that pattern. So for me, I actually wrote myself a note one time, a letter. Because I knew that once I got angry, I would stay angry for a very long time. And that just seemed like a total waste of time. So once I felt that coming on, I thought, oh, here we go. I'm going to be stuck in this cycle for hours and hours. It's really stupid. I had this letter. And I would read the letter to myself. And um, I've detailed what that letter is many, many times in the show. So I'll stop there. But like that's, that's the process. There you go. king. Hey, Tom, for someone who doesn't have much confidence or experience socially, what are some strategies for building connections and a strong network Appears I often feel guilty that I'm being a burden to someone if I ask them for their time. Okay. So first of all, read the book Captivate by Vanessa Van Edwards. Also watch the episode that we did with her. Um, Really, really incredible, amazing techniques for one, like cold opens, how to go to a party, how to be captivating. Um, And one of the punchlines is if you want to be interesting be interested so show up to a party with a list of say five questions that you just really find interesting and you'd want to know with somebody when you don't have to think about it it takes some of the anxiety from that initial situation and now immediately you're going to jettison this notion um, of feeling guilty that you're asking for somebody's time because that's not a turn-on like not even in, in a social situation I don't necessarily mean sexual I'm just saying it's not a turn-on when somebody comes up to you and they're like oh I'm so sorry to bug you like that Like, right? That doesn't, um, engender any interest to then talk to that person. So, uh, what you want to do is simply because you recognize that it's not an effective strategy, which is something that really helps me get rid of like embedded behaviors in myself is to recognize it's, it's just not efficacious, right? So efficiency is an obsession of mine. Effectiveness is an obsession of mine. So if I know that, Hey, even though I have this feeling and even though my inclination is to go apologize, that, that that's not a very effective cold open. So, uh, I'm going to jettison that. I'm not going to think about that. So even though I may feel it, I'm not going to feed into it by obsessing over it or allowing myself to manifest it. Okay. That's really, really important. And then I have my list of five questions I'm going to go through and I'm going to ask. Now, another thing that I would do is there's so many incredible like Facebook groups and things where you can go and be a collector of people who think like you think. So go to groups is one of the things that I'm most proud of with impact theory league is you've got all these amazing people that really believe in the mindset that we're putting out into the world and they're able to find each other. So um, if you resonate with this community, go to our Impact Theory League group on Facebook. Um, That would be... A fantastic way to meet people. And I'm sure that there are just all kinds of other things you could be doing. So, uh, online. So those are the, the sort of basic things that I would do, but really start with the book captivate. I think it's, it's pretty, pretty powerful for how to overcome some of that stuff. All right. Next question is from Andrew Baxter, Armentrout. I do believe that we've had this before. I remember that last name. Uh, as successful as you are today, what are some things in your life that you think are holding you back from becoming more progressive or successful? I inventory my life often and my priorities, and although I may not align them in the best fashion, I feel I can do 10 times better. Uh, what do you do to keep yourself on the successful and on a consistent pattern? Uh, so there's a few questions in there. So let me answer the first one. What do I think is holding me back, uh, from becoming more progressive? I don't really understand. And that so i 'll just say from becoming more successful, so one thing that i 'm beginning to realize, and you guys have heard me talk about this in uh, previous videos is um, i didn 't care about being a manager i wasn 't interested in becoming a better manager it wasn 't something that really appealed to me, uh, but I had this like niggling doubt in the back of my mind that that was probably a problem, and that at some point I was going to have to address it, and whether it was um, exciting to me or not to build the the kind of company that I want to build, being a good manager was as important as being a good leader. So um, that all solidified for me when I read the book Principles by Ray Dalio, uh, which by the way, anybody that wants to stalk him socially and tell him that he should come on Impact Theory, you have my blessing. Uh, I really want to get that guy on the show. That book totally changed my approach to management, totally changed my approach to this company. And by the way, um, just off camera is an incredible young man named Chase. And Chase was like, Tom, you need to read this fucking book, Principles. And he wouldn't let up about it. And so finally, I was like, all right, I'm going to make this my next book. And I read it, and it changed my life in the most profound and fundamental way that I can possibly convey. It is so transformative. If you're in business, I haven't looked at it through the lens of just general life, but in business, it is the single most important book for me that I've ever read on business. So, um, that's something that I think has been holding me back is the sense that I could somehow get away with just being a leader and just leading by example and just inspiring people in the company and that that would somehow be enough. Um, and I, I think that that is patently false and now I'm going hard on learning how to build structures, um, being a better manager, being a very effective, um, business communicator. It's not quite the right word, but that gets you close. Um, so Yeah. So that's something that I think is holding me back. Uh, the next thing, yeah, oh, don't scroll off. Uh, what do you do to keep yourself on the successful and consistent pattern? I don't really understand the question. Um, so uh, I'm going to answer the question I think you're trying to ask, which is how do I stay on a path of success? And for me, the the huge thing is a hyper-specific goal that is tied to a compelling future that I believe in very, very much. So, I like solving business puzzles. I hesitated there because I actually, I absolutely hate like um, what are those puzzles? The the ones where like they have a thousand pieces, jigsaw puzzle. Uh, I don't like jigsaw puzzles, but and I don't like those little fiddly um, like mind puzzles. But I love love business puzzles. There's something about the psychology when it's direct to consumer that I love more than I know how to convey. So like that is something I get very, very excited about doing and getting skills around that really, really excite me. Um, now on top of that, so the notion of technique, right? So I like getting good at solving those business problems. And I insist that I build a business that helps people. So I have a set of skills that I'm really proud of, that really excite me, that in and of themselves, that struggle, I enjoy that. And then on top of that, it serves other people. And that's, that's a huge thing for me. So that's how I stay on that path. I'm very, very excited about what I'm building towards. I love the thing that I'm struggling with, and it all serves other people. So you put those together, I think that's the magic triumvirate. So there you have it. All right, next question is from Sherry Linton Messiah. There's no other way to say that, right? That's just straight Messiah. Uh, From Facebook. Who have you had the most moving interview, dialogue with, and why? So basically, who's my favorite guest? Uh, That would be David Goggins. So David Goggins is amazing in every conceivable way. And researching him changed me at a deep and fundamental level, just like my boy Ray Dalio. Like when I was preparing for the Goggins episode, I was like, holy shit. I'm being changed in real time as I prepare for this episode. This is absolute insanity. Uh, And then sitting down with him was everything I ever hoped it would be. Uh, It is not surprising to me at all that that's our number one performing episode of all time. And it's just absolutely a smash bang winner. Love that. Um, And yeah, it literally has become like a thing in my life when I'm really fatigued and I don't think I can do any more. I say either out loud or in my head, Goggins, Goggins. And I know that sounds cheesy, but I actually do that just like that, by the way. Uh, and it kicks me in the ass and gets me going. All right, next question is from Bradley Dean. Do you believe you have do you believe you always have to push so hard and struggle to succeed? What are your thoughts on law of attraction and how much emphasis? on it i think do you put on your attitude in determining your results okay so um half of the law of attraction is amazing and it's all about you get what you focus on and the other half is utter bullshit and if you can't distinguish between the two you are fucked my friends so it goes like this thinking about something is not going to do anything other than reinforcing your mind that thing so it's putting your mind on that which is very effective if you say for instance um I'm going to be successful. I'm going to succeed. Awesome. Because that's putting you in a positive place. I love that. And if you're thinking you're going to fail, it's putting you in a negative place. It's not great. So awesome first step. Now, if you think that merely thinking about it turns you into some antenna that is going to receive something from the universe and they're going to drop success in your lap, you will be so depressed at the end of your life because nothing will happen. Even if you're going to play the fucking lottery, you have to go buy a ticket. Okay? You had to get up, you had to choose numbers, you had to buy a fucking ticket. So it drives me nuts when people think that merely thinking about something is going to do it. Think about eating and see how full you get. Okay, Now thinking about eating is going to get you up. Maybe it takes you to the grocery store. But ultimately, you have to get food, masticate it, and swallow. That's how it works. So people have got to understand at the end of the day, you've got to take action. You've got to have a very detailed plan. You have to have a massive set of skills that is going to allow you to execute and quite frankly, out execute other people who are also trying to do the thing that you're trying to do. So boys and girls, you get what you focus on. That is very true. But if you don't act, you're not going to get anything at all. Okay, there we go. All right. Question from Joyous. Nice name. Should kids be taught to have a backup plan? For example, my 11-year-old dreams of becoming a professional soccer player. Should I give them real stats and probability? Fuck that. Here's what you want to do. Everybody lean in close if you've got a child in your life. Now, again, I don't have kids, so I am not the expert. Follow my logic. If my logic is sound, get on it. And on this, I am confident my logic is sound. What you need to do is tell your kid, this is what we have to do. Any dream that you want, you can make come true. If any human being has ever done it, that means it's humanly possible. Now, let's break down what you're gonna have to do to actually execute on this, because only execution matters. They can't sit there and dream, and if they've got major handicaps, we need to address them. If they wanna be uh, a basketball player, and they're 5'3", we gotta really talk about how they're gonna have to overcome height. And so ball handling, uh, court awareness, those things all of a sudden become what they have to focus on. And we're really going to be realistic. We're going to face the hard things. We are going to talk real truth. We are not going to bamboozle them, but we are going to put a plan of action in place to show them how they actually get where they want to go because there is a fucking way. So we are going to work with experts. We're going to read books. We're going to watch YouTube videos. We're going to do whatever we have to do to get that plan in place so that they know that there really is a path to execution. Don't bullshit them. Figure out what that is and that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. And being honest about the fact that something is going to be hard, I think is a critical step in this. But man, if you can teach that child that there is a path to whatever dream that you want, I'm actually going to work with you to come up with that actual path to execution is, and then hold them accountable to doing it. Boom, man. Like if nothing else, they may realize that the amount of work that I would have to do to overcome if I have a natural limitation that doesn't lend itself to that thing that I want to do, like being five, three and playing in the NBA. If I look at that and say, okay, this is my limitation. I'm going to have to overcome this. But you know what? The amount of work that I'm going to have to do now to compete with people that are, you know, say 6'10", like... Eh, I'm not really interested in doing that. It's going to be too much effort. Okay, great. Then you move on to the next thing. But what you showed them is, it's not about having the wrong dream. It's not about, you got to face the facts, Timmy, and understand that like you've just got too much working against you. It's like, whatever the fuck you want to do, there is a path to execution, but we have to be real about what the hardships are that you're going to face based on your real circumstances. But if you're amped to go through that struggle and get to the other side, fuck yeah, you can do it. Word. If I had a mic, which I do, I guess technically, but it's attached to a very large apparatus, I would drop it on the floor. All right, here we go. Question is from Corey G. Rhoda What's up, IT? Tom, what do you think is the best way to approach a loved one about their health, specifically weight? They are very self conscious about it and already they are very self conscious about it already, but choose not to address or acknowledge at work on it. And I say, word up. So, first of all, Meet everyone with compassion, love, and respect. That's it, man. Don't be in the game of trying to change people. So if somebody is happy with where they are from a weight perspective, even if that means that they're going to live a shorter life, and that's something I've very much struggled with, it doesn't matter. Enjoy the time that you have with them. It's their life. They need to make the decision And it won't help. So going back to my obsession with uh, efficiency, something actually working or not, it actually doesn't work to do this assault, to try to get them to think about it, even though it comes from a place of love. And yes, even though it means that you're going to lose them earlier than you want to, it just doesn't work. And it's going to stress the shit out of your relationship. They're going to feel judged. They're not going to feel loved they need to know that you love them no matter what. And if you show them that, even if they never make that change, your relationship is going to be rad. They're going to feel better about themselves and it will just be all around way, way, way better. And so I would rather have somebody for a shorter period of time but have an amazing relationship while I have them then try to like get them to change. So, uh, I'm not in the game of changing people's minds. I'm in the game of preaching to the choir, uh, which I think is far more effective and actually spreads better that way. As you get that message out to more people that want to make the change, then it's there. So if somebody came to me and said, what do I need to do to make this change? You know, I'm ready now or whatever. I would give them that information freely and I'd be super stoked for them. But then if they fell off and they didn't do it, eh, that's fine, man. That is their journey. Um, so yeah, meet people with compassion that that is for your own sake, by the way, I think that's right answer. All right. Next question is from Khalif Williams. Hey Tom, how do you deal with being an outlier or social deviant? It's often that I feel that it's often that I feel that morally I don't match some others who have no problem stepping on others. I'm told that I'm weak for not changing my heart and I should just be as cold. Wow, man. So we got to talk about the people that you're hanging out with. If somebody can actually utter the words uh, that you need to be more cold. Uh, look, I get it. I understand where that's coming from. They're probably not trying to be a jerk and they're not a sociopath. But look, at the end of the day, it just isn't true. And from a business perspective, especially now today with social media, actually wanting good things for people and building a community by showing that you're willing to go to the ends of the earth to do something rad for them and making a product that actually resonates and solves a problem. Like, it's awesome. And so you live in a time where you can prove them wrong. It's all about delivering value. At the end of the day, that is the only thing that is monetizable over time, delivering value, period, simple as. So focus on that. And here's the thing, what they might be pointing out, they may have the wrong answer, which is that your heart isn't cold enough. You're not willing to step on people, which sounds like an absolutely horrific strategy. And remember, This is what everyone is thinking even if they don't have the words for it. If you'll do it for them, you'll do it to them. So if you'll step on somebody's neck to get ahead and they see that and it benefits them in the short term, in the long run, they're thinking, damn, like that person is willing to step on people to get somewhere. And so they're going to be very uneasy about you. So. I think it's – while it can win in the short term, I think it's a terrible long-term strategy. And while I'm in the place of recommending books today, um, read Barking Up the Wrong Tree by Eric Barker. And he talks about how uh, – and I forget who did the initial research. Forgive me because it wasn't him. Uh, but he's citing it where um, jerks finish first and last. So there are some short-term benefits to being a jerk. There's absolutely no question about that, but then there are massive long-term consequences. So you've really got to be careful. If you look at just the people that have gotten ahead with that and not realize sort of where that stalls out and then becomes a problem, what I call the dragon eating its own tail, um, then yeah, you're going to choose a strategy that's much more, um, effective in the short term. So be very, very careful about that. Um, so yeah, you live in a world where social media is going to allow you to build a really big business uh, by really taking care of people, by generating value, by taking care of them. And what I was going to say is while they, they're wrong about the fact that you need to step on people, they may be right in identifying that your strategy has a problem, meaning you have to judge yourself by results. So if you're being a nice guy, but you're not getting ahead, then you need to assess what you're doing wrong, where you're not delivering enough value. So um, just having the intention of being nice is not the same as building a big business. So um, keep that in Mind. All right. Next question is from Joe Rivera. How do you use your ego in your favor? All right. That's very easy. So, one, we need to be very careful about how we define words. So, if ego is synonymous with like, um, arrogance, even that, I think there's there's a positive connotation to be had for arrogance. But let's take the negative side of ego and arrogance where um, you're projecting something that turns other people off, first of all. So it's not just an internal thing to give yourself the confidence to move forward, um, which is how I use the word. So I tell people I have the arrogance of belief. I'm arrogant enough to believe that I can learn anything. Um, so I don't believe that I'm necessarily great at you know, whatever it is that I'm going to need to be great at to do something, but I really do have the arrogance to believe that I can get good at that. And I, that's been very, very powerful in my life. And I use the word arrogance there because it's something that's born out of um, no, like I have no concrete experience in that thing. And I still have the arrogance to believe that I can do it, but that comes from the confidence, which I've proven to myself over time that I'm very competent at learning. So confidence comes from competence. So that's it feeds into itself where even though I have no experience in that arena, um, and so I'll call it arrogance because of that. It's really arrogance fed by confidence that comes from competence of being a good learner over time in other areas. So, um, that's the thing. So, and that's where ego really plays. So I've chosen to build my ego, my self-esteem around being the learner. So instead of being right or being smart, which then makes you seem like a jerk for having the ego about that, my ego forces me to be humble because I actually have an ego around a willingness to be humble, to feed my humility, to focus on the things that I did wrong, to recognize that if I Really lower my um, defenses, or my need to be right, or my need to seem smart, or I stop worrying about looking stupid, or I face embarrassment head on, like all of those things. Those are the things that create my pride, my ego, my self esteem, all of it. So um, that what you build your self esteem around and your ego that matters. And if you've chosen poorly, and it's something that um, is built around being, you know, a stud or smart or whatever, like it's it's a death trap. But if you build that stuff around being willing to admit that you're wrong, sitting at somebody's feet and being willing to learn, acknowledging that everyone is your superior in some way and that you have something to learn from them, then it really becomes powerful. All right, next question is from Josh Blunt. Is podcasting a saturated market or is there still room for those who are willing to execute with hard work, passion, intellectual curiosity, and overall an obsession to make a positive impact on others? All right, Josh, here we go, man. I love this question so much because it gives me a chance to tell a story. And that story goes like this. Three-ish years ago, I decided that I was going to start doing a video show that ended up being Impact Theory. And at the time, I was told by somebody most of you know, because he's very famous in this world, um, that it was a fool's errand. That it was a very saturated market and that I was never going to be able to build the thing that I wanted to build. And he wasn't trying to be mean. He wasn't trying to be discouraging. He was just trying to be honest. And that basically the time, this was three years ago, the time had passed and that the people that had gotten a foothold, they just got started early. And so there was just no way for me to pull that off. And here we are, one of the um, most rapidly growing um, YouTube channels in our space. So, and I've gone from absolutely nothing to now our ecosystem has about 600,000 people in it in a year. So it's what we did in 2017 from a community standpoint. And when I say we, I mean the team here and I mean you guys for helping spread the word and get this out there. It's been insanity. It's been pure insanity. And to start from flat footed with zero subscribers on January 4th, zero, And to now on YouTube alone, be pressing up against 200,000 a year later, dude, you can do this, man. You can't, if you're focused on adding value, if you actually have a talent in it, if you're able to outperform other people, I don't care if you're starting 10 years from now, assuming that it's all still around, delivering value, delivering more value than other people is what it's about. And so to give you a sense of the chip that I keep on my shoulder... A, that person is on my list of people to prove wrong, And then B, it was being told that I couldn't do something. I knew that I had to double down and get really fucking good. And I knew that I couldn't step up to the plate and be okay. I had to step up and crush it and be better than anybody else. And every time that I look at a piece of our content that doesn't work, I think it's because I'm not better at that thing than the other people I'm going up against. That's just the truth. And so you've got to be willing to get better than other people. If you're willing to get better and deliver more value and you stick at it and don't stop and just put an inhuman amount of work behind it. You will be successful. All right. And by the way, we were told the same thing at Quest when we launched. We actually had a guy tell us, I need another protein bar like I need another hole in the head. And five years later, we were a billion-dollar business. So uh, it's becoming a theme in my life. All right. James McGough, YouTube. Hey, Tom, you're working right now, but there's also a lot of work going on behind the scenes. What's your favorite part of what you do, the external creative stuff or the business side? Uh, ooh. That's really tough. I love, love, love the creative side, but I don't want to be um, myopically in it. So I used to want to be a director. I don't want to be a director anymore because all of your focus and time and attention goes into that one project. And I like being at a much higher level. So um, I like solving business problems. And I think that if you force me to give an answer, I would, I would say business, but I love, love, love that my business is now creative. So um, that was something obviously done very much on purpose, but that, at the end of the day, my greatest joy is solving direct-to-consumer business problems. I don't enjoy B2B. That That's obnoxious in my opinion. But direct to consumer, like really coming to understand you really finding a way to deliver value that it is a puzzle that I enjoy solving tremendously and feeling like I'm doing something that improves people's lives is, is one of my greatest joys. So, uh, but ultimately, yeah, I think the, the business side of the equation, it has just be, I have fallen so in love with it. Um, so, yeah. All right. Next question is from Orlando Ramos Facebook. Do you ever think of what the world will look like once your life mission has pulled billions from the matrix, what humanity will look and be like, does that future excite you? Absolutely. Uh, I think about that obsessively. And as I told the team here, I love the idea of making movies and TV shows and comic books. Like All of that is beyond exciting to me. And by the way, I think we're going to lean even harder into social content and really thinking of ourselves as a, uh, a network, if you will, like a more... I I got to stop using the word traditional because it's going to be very a traditional, but in the sense of we're um, a production house that makes a whole bunch of content that's around a theme, uh, but ultimately is very divergent. So think of NBC or ABC or anything like that. So I think we're going to be leaning harder into that. Um, But I actually don't have enough passion and enthusiasm for the art of creating that stuff to risk my fortune, to spend my time doing that. But I do for the thought of pulling people out of the matrix and seeing what happens when you can find people that are willing to execute at a really high level, that really believe in themselves, that are willing to go acquire the skills that have a growth mindset. Uh, even if they just want to be like the greatest parent of all time, like that to me is, is the juice. And I do think about what that world looks like. And I think that it's uh, if you've ever read Michio Kaku's um, the future of physics. Future physics? Something like that. Future and physics are both in the title. Um, He talks about civilizations and how they're basically ranked in a... I forget if he calls them stage, stage one, stage two. But it's like as you move higher up, you start creating very powerful things that can either destroy or they can move you forward. And so, um, I hope that I can play some role in ushering in a bright and beautiful future. So meaning that we don't destroy ourselves and we don't keep being divisive and that people are focused on growing and getting better. And, um, that is a world that I very much want to see and help bring in. So, yeah, I think about that a lot. And that that really is my ultimate driver. Uh, which is why I obsess about doing it at scale. So one-offs to me just aren't that interesting. All right, Victoria Speed. I've been struggling to make progress in my new business. I feel like what I need is a strong team, but I live in a new city where I don't know anyone and don't have a lot of extra money. Where should I start building the team? Okay, so lean in. Uh, Those are excuses. And I say that only to just get past that fast so that we can get to what you actually need to do. So remember, excuses are horrifying because they're so valid. So yes, being in a new city and not knowing people, that is brutal and it's going to make it harder, but it is ultimately just an excuse. So what you need to do is make sure that you have a compelling value proposition to both the consumer and to the team, right? So. What are you offering the world that's going to excite people to be on your team? And what about being on your team is amazing enough to get people going? So um, making everyone an owner in this company, I think, is a huge value proposition, which we have done. So every full-time employee at Impact Theory um, has an ownership in the company. Um, to me, like that I just couldn't work anywhere that I didn't have ownership. We also do profit sharing, um, So, uh, which since we don't plan to sell the company, that's important to me uh, and I would think important to the people that are working here also, I'm obsessed with making this an awesome place to work since the grind is a guarantee, uh, but our ultimate success is not. So hopefully everybody enjoys the day to day, which is why we're doing principles and really building out the, um, the culture of this community in a way that empowers people as individuals. I think that that's really, really important. So if you have a vision, you have a compelling future that people can be a part of, and you know how to explain and paint that vision, and you're inviting people in to succeed as you succeed, then I think no matter. Matter where you could drop me in Namibia and I'd be able to get people excited about something because we're doing something that really adds value to people's lives. And I'm trying to do it in a way that makes actually being at the company itself a powerful experience. Um, so that's it. That's what you got to do. All right. We have sort of time for one more. Uh, so here we go. Last one. This is from Jeremy Schmidt. How do you pick yourself up after a hard hitting failure? And Tom, this might be personal, but what keeps you so inspired? Okay, so uh, I'll answer the easy one first. So what do I do that keeps me inspired? It's a compelling future. So there's that thing. In fact, the person's just asking, like, do I think about what the world looks like if I'm able to um, actually accomplish my mission and begin pulling people out of the matrix at scale? Uh, And again, the matrix is just a metaphor. I don't actually care whether we're in a simulation or not. I just mean the matrix... Uh, is is the metaphor that I use for a limiting belief system. So getting people to get rid of their limiting belief system and believe that they can do the extraordinary and then execute against it, which is really something that I hold myself accountable for. Uh, do people actually execute or do they just get inspired? And this becomes, oh, I got to forget the, the spiritual entertainment or something, uh, which I'm not interested in that. So I actually want people to go take action. Um, so that future is very, very, very compelling to me and very exciting to me. And I want to be a part of that and it makes me feel very good about myself because it's a set of skills that i've acquired that have utility and serve other people which is the like core thing to fulfillment and then part of what people read as inspired is just energy i have a lot of energy and so that energy comes from i prioritize sleep i eat well all the time and i exercise you do those three things man you will be shocked at being able to build through choices inspiration into your life but because i have the energy to back it up i have the energy to execute against it um It seems like it's just inspiration, but the reality is, man, I think mindset, this is a dirty secret. Mindset is position four. There are three things that you should be doing, the three things that I just listed, um, that really feed into it. So you need to have a compelling future. You need to have, um, you need to eat right. You need to exercise. Like, you just got to do those things. Then we get to, like, the mindset and all the tools and tactics and things that, that I break down. Um, all right, guys, that's it. Thank you so much for joining me. And is this the last one before Christmas? Yeah. I think it is. All right, guys. Happy holidays. Whatever it is that you celebrate, man. Happy holidays. I am such a psycho for the holiday season because it is a reminder that you get we focus on. Focus on joy, beauty, gratitude, all of that and it will be there for you. Thank you guys so much for joining me. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, and to Cindy, since I didn't IG story this, I apologize, and I'll put it in the error log. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me, and until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.